some people love Shakespeare, others not so much. But a Shakespeare adaptation is always a good time. Constellation Theatre at 14th and T is featuring a musical called Desperate Measures. It's based off of Shakespeare's play Measure for Measure, but it's set in the Wild West. A gunslinging nun teams up with a sheriff and a saloon dancer to save her brother. Buy tickets now at constellationtheater.org. The show runs through March 17th. Once again, that's constellationtheater.org. Today on CityCast DC, one of the best things about walking around in a city like DC is you never know what hidden histories unfolded on whatever street you're on. Joanne Hill is trying to change that with her book, Secret Washington, DC, a guide to the weird, wonderful, and obscure. She's here to share some of the weirdest and darkest stories behind famous DC sites like DuPont Underground, the Supreme Court, and the Soldier's Home Cemetery. Today's Wednesday, August 2nd. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what DC is talking about. Joanne, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. In researching and writing your book, it must have been so wild to be walking around the city and all of these famous and popular landmarks going, wow, this is where something really historic or really important happened. (laughs) Yeah, it's really funny. I've lived here for well over 20 years. And the last couple of years, whenever I walk around the mall and, and just around monuments and memorials, I look at every single thing through a different lens. So it's it's almost like a blessing, but also a curse because I can't unknow it or unsee it. <laughs> You're probably a very fun person to walk around the city with. <laughs> I'm like, did you know that this site used to be? Yeah, it's. <laughs> so I'm really excited to dig into some of this quirky history. And, you know, the thing on the list that probably rose my eyebrows the most is this Bigamy and digging into the underground tunnels in DuPont Circle. What is going on there? Oh, my goodness. This story is pretty wild, actually. So if you know when you go to DuPont Circle, there is like the DuPont Underground, right, where they have a lot of exhibits now. Near that area, there used to be this underground tunnel system. It is now sealed off that actually was dug by a former entomologist. So his name is Harrison Dwyer, and he was a famous entomologist. He worked at the Smithsonian. And in 1924, a truck was driving through and the weight of the truck caused the road to collapse. And that's how they discovered this whole tunnel system underground. And so this tunnel was a pretty elaborate system that was dug by one human being. So if you think about just how intense that was, um, it was about 200 feet. So it was electrically lit and it was broad enough that you could walk through. It basically went from like the south of DuPont Circle towards the National Mall. And so there was a lot of speculation. Harrison Dwyer, this entomologist, was found to be a bigamist. And so he had two families. And a lot of people speculated that the reason why he built this underground tunnel system was to travel between family to family. Mm. He, of course, denied it and said that it was just one of these pastimes. It was a hobby of his. It was a way that he got physical exercise. You know, and also in the tunnel, they found these like old news- newspaper clippings of like German submarine activities. So some people thought maybe he was a spy during World War One. They found empty alcohol bottles. Like it was just... Not very fitting for this, like, you know, buttoned up entomologist. He never admitted it to being that he built these tunnels to visit his families. But 
about five years later in 1929, he died of a stroke at his desk, which of course, more people thought, hmm, he's probably really stressed out. And that was what caused him to have this, you know, this stroke. So it's a bizarre story, but it's been sealed off since. So you're not able to see these tunnels anymore. I mean, either having two families or being a spy, both of those things sound pretty stressful to me. I know. And maybe he was both. Like, who knows, right? Yeah. So (laughs) Busy guy. Busy guy and was building tunnels by hand. So who knows? (laughs) Busy guy indeed. So I know there's some, like, mystical history at a place called the Soldier's Home. Where is that? That is in Upper Northwest. If you've ever been to, like, Lincoln's Cottage, it's basically around there, right? And that's like on Rock Creek Church Road in Upper Northwest. And so the story that I wrote about was that Mary Todd Lincoln, she's a fascinating human being, I think often a little misunderstood. She used to participate in seances at the soldier's home in the eight, like during the Civil War time. So basically in the 1860s during the Civil War, She and many people participated in seances. They would call them spirit circles. And mostly because if you think about the Civil War, that was a time where there was a lot of loss, right? People were dealing with a loss of loved ones. And so their son, Willie, died in 1862, and that made her kind of want to reconnect and attend these seances. And so she was a devout believer in the occult, and she would attend these seances pretty frequently. And even though many people attended these seances, there was still gossip and people would kind of talk about her because she was still someone of, you know, of elite nature that, you know, people like to gossip. Abraham Lincoln was known to go to a couple seances with her there, not because he so much believed, but more because he wanted to check out the credibility and just to make sure that his wife was okay. Uh, Well, there was this one medium in particular. His name was Lord Colchester. Doesn't he kind of sound like a fraud just by his name? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. He was the illegitimate son of a English duke. And so he was this medium where they really didn't trust him. And so Abraham Lincoln started to send out individuals. He sent out Dr. Joseph Henry, who was the first secretary of the Smithsonian. He kind of couldn't discover anything. Then he ended up sending out a friend, um, Noah Brooks, who was um, like a journalist. And they did indeed find that Lord Colchester was a fraud. He was the one, you know, knocking on doors and kind of like tugging on like clothing and hair to make it seem like there was a ghost or something that was doing it. And so they totally outed him out. He, of course, was angry. And so he threatened to kind of go public with, you know, letting everyone know that Mary Todd Lincoln went to these seances. They squashed that. But she was undeterred. They moved to the White House eventually. She still attended seances, so she didn't kind of really care that people made fun of her or gossiped. There's no report that Abraham Lincoln actually attended any seances in the White House. If you've heard some kind of stories that the White House is kind of known to be haunted, there have been, you know, some ghost settings there. Some historians say that she, Mary Todd Lincoln, poor woman, like she's the reason because she opened the portal to the occult when she had these seances there. So I don't know. She gets a bad rap, but you know, poor Mary Todd Lincoln had a lot of death, a lot of loss in her life. Yeah, I could see why that would get you interested in the occult and seances if death and loss was all around you. Right. Absolutely. Another site that I know has a Lincoln-related history is, kind of surprisingly, the Walk and Roll restaurant in Chinatown. Yes. Oh, this is another wild story. So before it was an Asian fusion karaoke place, it used to be a boarding house. And so basically in 1853, a gentleman, his name was John Surratt, he bought 
that boarding house where now Walk and Roll is. He died in 1862. His wife, Mary Surratt, they lived in Maryland, eventually moved and she ran the boarding house. And so she, of course, had a number of different tenants and guests, but the most notable tenants and guests were John Wilkes Booth and other conspirators from the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. So she actually became involved. And so it was known that she provided guns and field houses to Booth and his group. But it was the testimony of one of her tenants named John M. Lloyd. He has said that she had given him binoculars and also, you know, had the shooting irons ready, that were ready to go. And so when he testified, he testified against her. And Mary Surratt, this boarding house owner, actually ended up being the first woman to ever be executed by the U.S. government. Wow. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. And there's still like controversy around that. But what's even a little crazier is that there were five of nine judges asked for her clemency. They basically noted her, her gender and her age. And Andrew Johnson, the president at the time, did not grant her clemency. And so she was killed. Well, yeah. that's another, I mean, it goes yeah. back to what you were saying before about all these places you pass all the time and you might not know these very important histories behind that happened there. Right, exactly. So if you go to Walk and Roll restaurant, there is actually a little plaque that's outside the restaurants. But because in 2009, it was listed on the U.S. National Register of Historic Places. But yeah, I mean, how many times have I done karaoke there and have I eaten there? And I had no idea (laughs) until I started researching this book. Yeah, it's fascinating. The brand new Arbor at Tacoma is built for your most convenient urban living. Whether you want to enjoy the vibrant Tacoma, D.C. community or comfortably retreat into a sleek sanctuary all your own. The kitchens have striking dark navy and white cabinets, and throughout the home, there are wood floors and smart home technology. Some homes even have a private outdoor space. With a quick walk to the metro, you can easily head into downtown or stay close and enjoy the retail that's on site. Located at 218 Cedar Street Northwest, The Arbor Tacoma offers brand new one- and two-bedroom condos starting in the upper 300,000s. Visit thearborattacoma.com for more information. That's Tacoma with a K. So T-H-E-A-R-B-O-R-A-T-T-A-K-O-M-A.com. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. So let's move on to the National Mall, which is probably the most popular, busiest part of town. I know that one of the histories that you've uncovered in the book is this interesting history related to the National Museum of the American Indian with a Mary named, a woman named Mary Ann Hall, another Mary. Um, what happened there? Yeah, lots of Marys. So the site where the Museum of American Indian is now used to be a brothel, but not just any brothel, like one of the most successful brothels in D.C. history. And so during the Civil War, brothels became really popular. So if you think about wartime, right? Soldiers are coming in, generals, you know, a lot of men, businessmen are coming in. And of course, with an influx of men, also 
brothels become <laughs> very popular. So at one time during the Civil War period, there were about 100 brothels throughout the city, but they were pretty concentrated. There was an area called Hooker's Division that was pretty much the area between what, what is now today Capitol Hill to like Federal Triangle. And so Marianne Hall, she established a brothel at the site where American Indian Museum is now, which was very strategic because it was kind of in the center of everything. So like location, location, location. She had prime real estate. And so her brothel became very, very popular, very frequented, but also she was known to be a very good businesswoman. She had really good business acumen. Um, so she was a high society, an elite in the city. She was revered. She was very respected. She was known to treat her women well. She gave her women health care, um, which is not something that happened, you know, in the 1860s, right? This was like when she was like in her 20s. Like she was a young woman. She wasn't this older woman. So she was very young and very astute businesswoman. She ran the brothel basically from like 1864 to the um, 1870s. And then she retired as a madam because, you know, how long can one be a madam? You, you can't do it forever, obviously. But in 1883, she ended up renting out part of that building to a um, like a women's health clinic. So she was a pretty, you know, uh, strong leader in the community. And if you know Congressional Cemetery in Capitol Hill, which, you know, is I think one of the most amazing spots in the city, um, she's buried there. So it just kind of shows you that she was not just this like madam, but she was a really uh, prestigious individual. When they were excavating the land, you know, years and years and years later for the museum, they found a lot of relics from the brothels. They found like champagne corks and like champagne flutes and china and porcelain dishes. So also letting us know they lived a really nice, luxurious life. <laughs> It sounds like it. And I'm glad to know that even back then that, you know, she was treating the people who worked for her pretty well. Healthcare. It's nice to hear that even all these oh, years later. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So moving on to another kind of historical, iconic Washington spot, the Supreme Court. What is the history that people might not know that happened there? Yeah, the site of the Supreme Court it's kind of undergone a lot of different identities. And so if you go back to 1812, you know, in the British torch, the U.S. Capitol, they built a temporary capital while they were restoring the capital we know today. And so that served, that site where the Supreme Court is now, served as a temporary building for the U.S. Capitol. Once Congress then moved to its permanent dwelling, the old capital then became a boarding house. They changed it to a boarding house. Well, with the Civil War, so many things go back to the Civil War. The boarding house became abandoned and pretty dilapidated. And so we talked about with Marion Hall, you know, soldiers were coming in, generals were coming in, a lot of individuals were coming in. Well, they ended up turning this boarding house into a prison. So it was called Old Capitol Prison. But all they really did was they kind of replaced like the wooden slits above the windows with iron bars. So it's not like they did this huge transformation. It wasn't a secure place, but they imprisoned a lot of like Confederate spies and generals and soldiers and so forth. There were two female spies of note that I included in my book. One, her name was Rose O'Neill. She actually used to be a resident of the boarding house. So she was like resident turned inmate. <laughs> she lived, she was incarcerated for about five months in uh, the old Capitol prison. And she was with her young daughter and she was a Confederate spy. So not a good person. She was known to be very good at her job. And actually, she was known to be kind of a pivotal spy in um, the Confederate victory at First Bull Run. But once she was released from jail, Jefferson Davis actually attributed a lot of victories to her. And 
ended up sending her on these international missions. So she wasn't kind of, her spy days were not done. She also was known to be very like beguiling and she was seductive and attractive. So she used her looks and her assets, go to speak, and, uh, you know, was able to get intel and do what she needed to do to get some information. Another spy who was there was, her name was Belle Boyd. She was also a Confederate spy. And she would often communicate with outsiders. Uh, She would kind of shoot like a rubber ball out of her cell and she would pretend that she was knitting or sewing. And a lot of the guards, of course, they were all men. They didn't think anything of it, but she was actually sewing like information into these rubber balls. And then she would throw them out the windows because remember, this was not really a secure prison. It was a converted boarding house. And that's how she was able to relay information. Um, So they were these two, not good individuals, but you know, pretty proficient and pretty, uh, pretty astute spies. Joanne, what got you interested in all of this in the first place? Like, why do you catalog this? Well, it's so interesting. So I've, I've been a writer. I used to be a teacher. I was a third grade teacher. So I've done a lot of DC field trips and so forth. I've always been really interested and really fascinated. I started writing a travel blog and then I would also write DC living and DC dining and stuff like that. I was basically asked by a friend if I wanted to be connected with a publisher who does these guidebooks. And so that's how I kind of got connected. They do a series and I wrote The Secret Washington, D.C., Guide to the Weird, Wonderful, and Obscure. And I just kind of dove right in and started researching, you know, when you think of weird, obscure things and you think about D.C., I mean, spies are one of the things I think that come to mind. I like ghost stories and those kind of things. So I just started researching scandalous things. I mean, the entire book isn't scandalous. There's also really, you know, fun, feel-good stories too, I promise. You just brought us the juiciest ones. I mean, but everybody always asks for the juiciest ones. So, you know, (laughs) who am I to to deny? But it's been so fun because then it it also brought, I wrote a, a scavenger hunt book around DC, same publisher. I'm now writing a DC food and unique eats and eateries around Washington DC area. It's been such an adventure. I have loved every second of it. Where can folks learn more about the weird, wonderful secrets, (laughs) histories of DC? Yeah, well, so my book is available at local bookstores, you know, Solid State Books, uh, Pops and Pros, East City, you know, all around the city. Um, Also my website, uh, secretdcbook.com. Of course, you know, bigger entities. We don't need to speak their names online, but my books are kind of, you know, all over the place. i I'm a member of Destination DC and I have some walking tours coming up and so forth. So lots of ways to connect. Thanks so much for being here, Joanne. It is so interesting to learn all of this stuff about DC. So much fun, Bridget. Thank you so much for having me. Before you go, here's some quick news. A 14-year-old boy has been charged with the murder of a construction worker at Howard University. The worker Rafael Adolfo Gomez was working on a steam plant project when he was shot in the apparent robbery attempt. And also, local and federal government officials have agreed to transform Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest into a strip with fewer car lanes, more green spaces, pop-up markets, art installations, and event spaces. Planning will begin as early as this fall. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, why not share it with your friend who loves telling you all about DC landmarks? And subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey DC. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then.